Chapter 34 of The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. Translated and edited by E. Allison Pierce. We have now reached the conclusion that the good Jesus, being ours, asks his Father to let us have him daily, which appears to mean forever. While writing this, I've been wondering why, after saying, Our daily bread, the Lord repeated the idea in the words, Give us this day, Lord. I will tell you my own foolish idea. If it really is foolish, well and good. In any case, it is quite bad enough that I should interfere in such a matter at all. Still, as we are trying to understand what we are praying for, let us think carefully what this means, so that we may pray rightly and thank him who is taking such care about teaching us. This bread, then, is ours daily, it seems to me, because we have him here on earth, since he has remained with us here, and we receive him. And if we profit by his company, we shall also have him in heaven, for the only reason he remains with us is to help and encourage and sustain us, so that we shall do that will which, as we have said, is to be fulfilled in us. In using the words, this day, he seems to me to be thinking of a day of the length of this life, and a day indeed it is. As for the unfortunate souls who will bring damnation upon themselves and will not have fruition of him in the world to come, they are his own creatures, and he did everything to help them on and was with them to strengthen them throughout the today of this life. So it is not his fault if they are vanquished. They will have no excuse to make, nor will they be able to complain of the Father for taking this bread from them at the time when they most needed it. Therefore the Son prays the Father that, since this life lasts no more than a day, he will allow him to spend it in our service. As his majesty has already given his Son to us by sending him of his own will into the world, so now of the same will he is pleased not to abandon us, but to remain here with us for the greater glory of his friends and the discomfiture of his enemies. He prays for nothing more than this today, since he has given us the most holy bread. He has given it to us forever, as I have said, as the sustenance and manna of humanity. We can have it whenever we please, and we shall not die of hunger, save through our own fault. For in whatever way the soul partakes of food, it will find joy and comfort in the most holy sacrament. There is no need or trial or persecution that cannot be easily borne if we begin to partake and taste of those of which he himself bore and to make them the subject of our meditations. With regard to other bread, the bread of bodily necessaries and sustenance, I neither like to think that the Lord is always being reminded of it, nor would I have you remember it yourselves. Keep on the level of the highest contemplation, for anyone who dwells there no more remembers that he is in the world than if he had already left it. Still, less does he think about food. Would the Lord ever have insisted upon our asking for food, or taught us to do so by his own example? Not in my opinion. 
He teaches us to fix our desires upon heavenly things and to pray that we may begin to enjoy these things while here on earth. Would he then have us trouble about so petty a matter as praying for food? As if he did not know that once we begin to worry about the needs of the body, we shall forget the needs of the soul. Besides, are we such moderately minded people that we shall be satisfied with just a little and pray for only a little? No, the more food we are given, the less we shall get of the water from heaven. Let those of you, daughters, who want more of this, necessaries of life, pray for this. Join with the Lord, then, daughters, in begging the Father to let you have your spouse today, so that as long as you live, you may never find yourself in this world without him. Let it suffice to temper your great joy that he should remain disguised beneath these accidents of bread and wine, which is a real torture to those who have nothing else to love and no other consolation. Entreat him not to fail you, but to prepare you to receive him worthily. As for that other bread, have no anxiety about it if you have truly resigned yourself to God's will. I mean that at these hours of prayer you are dealing with more important matters, and there is time enough for you to labor and earn your daily bread. Try never at any time to let your thoughts dwell on this. Work with your body, for it is good for you to try to support yourselves, but let your soul be at rest. Leave anxiety about this to your spouse, as has been said at length already, and he will always bear it for you. Do not fear that he will fail you if you do not fail to do what you have promised and to resign yourselves to God's will. I assure you, daughters, that if I myself were to fail in this because of my wickedness, and as I have often done in the past, I would not beg him to give me that bread or anything else to eat. Let him leave me to die of hunger. Of what use is this life to me if it leads me daily nearer to eternal death? If, then, you are really surrendering yourselves to God, as you say, cease to be anxious for yourselves, for he bears your anxiety and will bear it always. It is as though a servant had gone into service and were anxious to please his master in everything. The master is bound to give him food for so long as he remains in his house and in his service, unless he is so poor that he has food neither for his servant nor for himself. Here, however, the comparison breaks down, for God is, and will always be, rich and powerful. It would not be right for the servant to go to his master every day and ask him for food when he knew that his master would see that it was given him, and so he would be sure to receive it. To do this would be a waste of words. His master would quite properly tell him that he should look after his own business of serving and pleasing him, for if he worried himself unnecessarily, he would not do his work as well as he should. So, sisters, those who will may worry about asking for earthly bread. Let our own task be to beg the Eternal Father that we may merit our heavenly bread, so that although our bodily eyes cannot feast themselves on the sight of him, since he is thus hidden from us, he may reveal himself to the eyes of the soul and may make himself known to us as another kind of food, full of delight and joy, which sustains our life. 
Do you suppose that this most holy food is not ample sustenance even for the body and potent medicine for our bodily ills? I am sure that it is. I know a person who was subject to serious illnesses and often suffered great pain. This pain was taken away from her in a flash, and she became quite well again. This often occurs, I believe, and cures are recorded from quite different illnesses which could not be counterfeited. As the wondrous effects produced by this most holy bread in those who worthily receive it are very well known, I will not describe all the things that could be related about this person I mentioned, though I have been enabled to learn about them, and I know that they are not fabrications. The Lord had given this person such a lively faith that when she heard people say that they wished they lived at the time when Christ walked on this earth, she would smile to herself, for she knew that we have him as truly with us in the most holy sacrament as people had him then, and wonder what more they could possibly want. I know, too, that for many years this person, though by no means perfect, always tried to strengthen her faith when she communicated by thinking that it was exactly as if she saw the Lord entering her house with her own bodily eyes, for she believed in very truth that this Lord was entering her poor abode, and she ceased, as far as she could, to think of outward things and went into her abode with him. She tried to recollect her senses so that they might all become aware of this great blessing, or rather, so that they should not hinder the soul from becoming conscious of it. She imagined herself at his feet and wept with the Magdalene exactly as if she had seen him with her bodily eyes in the Pharisee's house. If she felt no devotion, faith told her that it was good for her to be there. For if we want to be foolish and to close our minds to facts, we cannot suppose that this is the work of the imagination, as it is when we think of the Lord on the cross or of other instances of the Passion, and picture within ourselves how these things happened. This is something which is happening now. It is absolutely true, and we have no need to go and seek him somewhere a long way off, for we know that until the accidents of bread have been consumed by our natural heat, the good Jesus is with us, and we should not lose so good an opportunity, but should come to him. If, while he went about in the world, the sick were healed merely by touching his clothes, how can we doubt that he will work miracles when he is within us, if we have faith, or that he will give us what we ask of him since he is in our house? His majesty is not wont to offer us too little payment for his lodging if we treat him well. If you grieve at not seeing him with the eyes of the body, remember that that would not be good for us, for it is one thing to see him glorified and quite another to see him as he was when he lived in the world. So weak is our nature that nobody could endure the sight. In fact, there would be no one left to endure it, for no one would wish to remain in the world any longer. Once having seen this eternal truth, people would realize that all the things we prize here are mockery and falsehood. And if such great majesty could be seen, how could a miserable sinner like myself, after having so greatly offended him, remain so near to him? Beneath those accidents of bread we can approach him, for if the king disguises himself, it would seem that we need not mind coming to him, 
without so much as circumspection and ceremony. By disguising himself, he has, as it were, obliged himself to submit to this. Who otherwise would dare to approach him so unworthily, with so many imperfections, and with such lukewarm zeal? Oh, we know not what we ask. How much better does his wisdom know what we need? He reveals himself to those he knows will profit by his presence. Though unseen by bodily eyes, he has many ways of revealing himself to the soul, though through deep inward emotions and by various other means. Delight to remain with him. Do not lose such an excellent time for talking with him as the hour after communion. Remember that this is a very profitable hour for the soul. If you spend it in company of the good Jesus, you are doing him a great service. Be very careful then, daughters, not to lose it. If you are compelled by obedience to do something else, try to leave your soul with the Lord. For he is your master, and though it be in a way you may not understand, he will not fail to teach you. But if you take your thoughts elsewhere and pay no more attention to him than if you had not received him, and care nothing for his being within you, how can he make himself known to you? You must complain, not of him, but of yourself. This, then, is a good time for our master to teach us and for us to listen to him. I do not tell you to say no prayers at all, for if I did, you would take hold of my words and say I was talking about contemplation, which you need practice only if the Lord brings you to it. No, you should say the Patronoster, and realize that you are verily and indeed in the company of him who taught it you, and kiss his feet in gratitude to him for having desired to teach you, and beg him to show you how to pray, and never to leave you. You may be in the habit of praying while looking at a picture of Christ, but at a time like this, it seems foolish to me to try to turn away from the living image, the person himself, to look at his picture. Would it not be foolish if we had a portrait of someone whom we dearly loved and when the person himself came to see us, we refused to talk with him and carried on our entire conversation with a portrait? Do you know when I find the use of a picture an excellent thing and take great pleasure in it? When the person is absent and we are made to feel his loss by our great aridity, it is then that we might find it a great comfort to look at the picture of him who we have such reason to love. This is great inspiration. and makes us wish that, in whichever direction we turn our eyes, we could see the picture. What can we look upon that is better or more attractive to the sight than upon him who so dearly loves us and contains within himself all good things? Unhappy are those heretics who, through their own fault, have lost this comfort, as well as others. When you have received the Lord and are in his very presence, try to shut the bodily eyes and to open the eyes of the soul and to look into your own hearts. For I tell you and tell you again, for I should like to repeat it often, that if you practice this habit of staying with him, not just once or twice, but whenever you communicate and strive to keep your conscience clear so that you can often rejoice in this your good. He will not, as I have said, come so much disguised as to be unable to make his presence known to you in many ways, 
according to the desire which you have of seeing him. So great indeed may be your longing for him that he will reveal himself to you wholly. But if we pay no heed to him, save when we have received him, and go away from him in search of other and baser things, what can he do? Will he have to drag us back by force to look at him and be with him because he desires to reveal himself to us? No. For when he revealed himself to all men plainly and told them clearly who he was, they did not treat him at all well. Very few of them indeed even believed him. So he grants us an exceeding great favor when he is pleased to show us that it is he who is in the most holy sacrament. But he will not reveal himself openly and communicate his glories and bestow his treasures save on those he knows greatly desire him. For these are his true friends. I assure you that anyone who is not a true friend and does not come to receive him as such, after doing all in his power to prepare for him, must never importune him to reveal himself to him. Hardly is the hour over with such a person has spent in fulfilling the church's commandment that he goes home and tries to drive Christ out of the house. What with all his other business and occupations and worldly hindrances, he seems to be making all possible haste to prevent the Lord from taking possession of the house, which is his own.